and welcome to episode 96 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Simon, Pale Robbie on the boards. I gotta start this podcast by saying a giant sorry for keeping you waiting to all of our listeners. Uh, we wanted to record in LA at E3, but uh, I will freely admit that I was so dang tired that when it came to a choice between the pillow on my hotel bed or podcasting, I chose the pillow. And that Who would, pooped the bed? Rob pooped the I, bed. I, I pooped the bed. It's uh, really, is, entirely his fault. I it mean, really is. None of us were, were in any way at fault. Nope. Nope. I take full responsibility for that. So I'm really sorry to the listeners. I really wanted to get a podcast out to you guys right away. But uh, here we are now. And we are going to talk about the E-Thrizzles. Uh, 2015 was absolutely insane. Uh, I will freely admit that I cried during the Sony press conference as soon as Last Guardian showed up. I saw the cat bat, and I was excited. So we got so much to talk about today. Joining me today, we have three people. The first is regular Derek Heemsbergen. Hey, what's up? Derek Heemsbergen and Brian on the boards. I like RPGs, and I'm here to talk about them. Cool, cool, cool. We also have Jeremy I'm Wrong About Dark Souls 3 Harnegi. Uh, it's actually Carnage, sir, and I'm incredibly right about Dark Souls. Um, also, Jeremy D. on the boards. All right, all right, all right. And then we also have Jesse Wu joining us. Jesse was kind enough to pick me up from the airport, so I think I still owe him like 100 bucks. <laughs> Hi, folks. I'm the Superdog on the boards. All right, all right, all right. So E3 2015. I think we're going to start by talking about the press conferences because... Because they were the best part of the show? Yeah, because they overshadowed everything else. Uh, you know, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, I think once we got to the show floor, like there were tons and tons of games to play, and it was really, really awesome. But in the back of your head the entire time was this, like, I just saw The Last Guardian. I just saw a Final Fantasy VII remake announcement. I just saw a Shenmue weird Kickstarter thing. There were, like, all these things in the back of my head that were just, like... I want to know more about that stuff, even though it's so far out. But then once you got on the show floor, there were tons of great games to see. But there was, like, this feeling of all these announcements that we had been waiting years for. Like, I I first saw that Final Fantasy VII PlayStation 3 demo when I was in college. I was sitting in my college dorm room as an RA, and I saw that demo, and I was like, wow, I really want that. And then we finally got the announcement. So... Like, kind of starting off with the press conferences, you know, Microsoft went first, and I I think we all kind of were, we were watching it together, well, actually, I'm completely getting confused here. Let's start off with Bethesda, uh, because Bethesda proved me wrong, and now we need Rob Was Wrong t-shirts, Fallout 4 announced, and is coming out in November, Dogs and Cats, Living Together, Mass Hysteria. (laughs) How the hell is that game coming out in November? Well, we're we're going to need a lot of Rob was wrong shirts, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> Ooh, let's calm down. <laughs> the video <there>. was amazing. <laughs> um, you know, I think fallout four was kind of interesting. Their reveal was, I want to say a little stilted because they showed the game and we were all kind of having the comments while watching the feed, like fallout four didn't look that impressive graphically until they fast forwarded to like the actual, like, post-apocalyptic setting, and then it really started to pop, like, the environment started to look really good. Um, But for them to kind of show the game in that weird way and kind of thumb their nose at all the Reddit posts about how, oh, there's no female character, turns out there is, like, you can play a female, Uh, and then, like, in the middle of this huge announcement to take a break and then talk about their, like, mobile app minigame... 
just right yeah. in the middle of it. Which, Jeremy, I think you downloaded that thing, didn't you? I did. I played it that night. It's actually not bad. It's uh, it's pretty fun to start with. Um, the in-app purchases after probably like the first 24 hours of hard playing are kind of unfortunate. But, you know, for the first like day or so, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they started to keep going with Fallout 4, and they showed yeah. like kind of a Minecraft element, lots of like building your own base and building your own guns, which I was excited. I like that, yeah. yeah. I like the, the whole build your own base thing because I, I always feel like in games like Fallout and Skyrim, there are all these objects populating the world that don't actually serve any purpose other than to be vendor trash. Mm-hmm. So it was like, uh, cool, I can pick up that like random-ass can of beans and put it in my house if I want. I can make a house full of beans man i can do anything beans. i want <laughs> it, it yeah was... kind of reminds me of like the uh the cabbage things that people did with skyrim mm-hmm. where they just have a basement full of them it, it was really cool like i think when they started showing off like all the intricacies of the world and kind of the new things that they're doing i started to get more and more interested i loved when the character jumped into the power armor and, like, the UI changed, and it, like, became more of, like, an action-heavy game. That's now slows down time, but doesn't completely stop it. And the shooting looked much better. It looked much more responsive, because we all, you know, if you played Fallout 3, that, that game was not a shooter at all. Um, so, yeah, Fallout 4 looked really impressive, but then they, they dropped this megaton of, like, a November 10th announcement. And I had to sit there and process everything that was coming out this year, like... I got Bloodborne in March. I'm still playing The Witcher. Metal Gear Solid 5 comes out in September. Fallout in November. Like, if you think for a second that this is a disappointing year for video games, like, I I don't know what to tell you. Like, there's so much crap coming out right now. It's, like, overwhelming. Now, Persona 5, too. Well, we're going to get to Persona. Uh, I kind of want to end the show with Persona because they had that little trailer. Oh, the new trailer is so good. (laughs) It is so good. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Um, But I will say, like, there is a little bit in the back of my head, a little bit of nervousness about that November 10th release date for Fallout. Like, you know, I love Witcher, but it is a little broken in some places. We're hearing reports about Batman Arkham Knight kind of being an absolute mess on PC. Like, I I want to believe that Bethesda is going to finish a product and it's going to come out and be relatively bug-free. And, you know, Fallout 3 had problems when it was released, but overall it was still okay, as long as you weren't playing the PlayStation 3 version. Uh, but then there's, like, Fallout New Vegas, which was... Yikes. So, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. Do you guys feel the same way or no? Definitely. Because Skyrim also had a lot of issues when it first came out, and it's kind of, like, along the same scope, at least. Mm-hmm. It was just really frustrating to have it happen that way, but... I don't know. I guess maybe I'm just used to it now. I'm kind of expecting it. I don't know. I know that's sad, but I feel like it's going to happen regardless. And that's not excusing it either. It just means that you kind of anticipate and uh, can adjust your expectations accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a sad fact, but, you know, there it is. That's Bethesda. Yeah. I, I Bethesda also had a lot of other non-RPG stuff. Like, I got my Dishonored 2 announcement, which made me really excited. I uh, really like the fact that you're going to be able to pick between uh, female and male character. Emily's going to be playable in the game. That was kind of something that I wanted to to talk about a little bit, you know, not to to start, you know, throwing out bombs or anything or really turn this into a big, you know, political discussion on the podcast, but to go from a couple years back where all the press conferences were, you know, blood, guts, head 
headshots, explosions, you know, people cheering at the end of that original Last of Us gameplay reveal, to have so many strong female characters present, so many different types of gaming experiences. You know, yeah, you had your loud Call of Duty announcement at Sony, but overall there were just so many different titles being showcased at these press conferences that it was it was a little bit of a breath of fresh air, I felt. And I would say that they were even overshadowed. Like, Sony's biggest announcements were clearly Last Guardian, Shenmue, and FF7. Like, they had their obligatory Call of Duty Black Ops thing, but I don't think a lot of people really cared. It felt like a lot of the crowd was checked out, because as we were sitting there, you know, we, we experienced the applause and the hype in real time as people were freaking out and losing their minds um, over the remake. And when it came to Call of Duty, the crowd was just like, tepid applause. You know, it's... I don't think that people really want that stuff as much anymore. Does it sell? Absolutely. But it's not the stuff that we're getting excited about because it's been done so often. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, Moving on from Bethesda to Microsoft. Uh, We watched the Microsoft press conference and... You know, I think the thing to say about Microsoft is those aren't games that really speak to me personally as a player. Like, I'm not a big Halo guy, I'm not a big Gears guy, I'm not a big Forza guy. But I think if you are into those games, you got really good reveals. Um, I was more interested in uh, ReCore, or ReCore, however you want to say it. I was interested in that game, but we didn't really learn anything about it. Um, I found the that one with like the robo dog in the box. Yeah, yeah. I, like I was, I was interested in that, and for a game that's supposedly coming out in spring, for them to not show like anything about it was a little surprising. I, I don't understand everybody losing their minds over Rare's uh, Sea of Thieves. I was kind of like, okay, they're making a pirate game. Yeah. All right. But, like, the internet went nuts for that game. Like, everyone was like, oh, my God, Rare. And I just wanted to be the guy that was like, yeah, you see that Rare collection? That's how long ago Rare was relevant. <laughs> like, 15 so years sad. ago. <laughs> like, am I being mean when I say that? Like, did anybody really want a Grabbed by the Ghoulies sequel? Yeah. Well, the internet just goes nuts for pirate stuff generally, so. Maybe that's it. I mean, it, it looked interesting. But that, that was one of those titles that I feel like that's so far off. I can't get excited about it right now. Like we don't even know what it is. Maybe maybe this kind of leads into like the whole console wars and that eternal debate. But I feel like you know other consoles have kind of had a lot of these things for a while now. So I mean, if you have an Xbox and you're just you know finally getting these like different titles, I can see being excited. But yeah, I don't know. Being you know personally a, a Sony fanboy, I'm like eh, whatever. Well, so then we also had uh, EA with Mass Effect Andromeda, or Mass Effect we wrote ourselves into a corner, so now we're going to go to the other side of the galaxy. You're so cynical, and sometimes I love it. <laughs> Is it, I mean, am I right? Like, In this case, yes. I, it, it's kind of a shame, like, you know, uh, reading through some of the lore books for uh, Dragon Age, you can kind of see, like, they've written themselves into a corner by having so many different paths and different takes like they they're like you know oh the the inquisitor did this or maybe he or she didn't like you know they're, they're kind of like when you have all of this choice does the world kind of eventually fall in on itself and now you just have nothingness instead of like actual stories so maybe kind of moving away from the established mass effect formula out a little bit is a smart idea, but it, you know, Dragon Age Inquisition really surprised me with how good it was. I think Bioware is listening to a lot of the complaints about their games over the past couple years, and I, I think they can do something special. At, at the very least, the shooting mechanics in Mass Effect have always been great. 
I'm excited to see more, but I was kind of surprised that all we got was kind of a very brief CG trailer without yeah, any CG. sign of gameplay. Yeah. yeah. But it said it's, what, late next year? So. Yeah, I, I would imagine we, that might get pushed to, like, spring 2017, but a fall 2016 release date seems likely. And then Sony happened. <laughs> <laughs> and Sony just, you know, it's not an RPG, obviously, but Sony just drops the hammer on everybody by starting their conference with The Last Guardian. Like, we were all sitting there like, okay, they're probably going to start with Uncharted 4, and it's going to look good, and Steven's going to be clutching at everybody, saying how awesome it looks. Hey, Jeremy and, loves Uncharted 2. But they just... I do. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. I'm they, there with you. They just start with Last Guardian, and, like, the feeling of validation, like, for a, a trailer that we saw six years ago to actually see, like, running gameplay, like, somebody was playing through that demo, it just... It, it warmed my heart a little bit, and and it was hard to be cynical at E3 after that. It was like, aw, like I've been waiting so long for this, and and here it is, and this feels really special. This feels great, and that was a moment of like, Sony got it. Like I think Sony knew. Like we've been talking about this game for so long, we've been so excited. Here it is, and at that point, you're like, okay, the sky is now the limit. If they march a Final Fantasy VII remake out at me. I'm not going to be surprised. And then they did. And the yeah. world just, I, I was just screaming, no, I can't believe this is happening. Oh my God, man. When the live stream was on the monitors up yep. there, just trailing across those three big screens, I was just turning, I turned over to Liz and I was like, are they doing this right now? Are you kidding me? Yep. Is this doing happening? <laughs> They're doing it. Now, yeah, I, I briefly remember some smaller trailers afterwards. Couldn't tell you the name. Don't know what happened. <laughs> For like 10 minutes afterwards, just like, we're, are they still showing things? What's happening right now? We were officially in the Final Fantasy VII afterglow at that yeah. point. Like, it was just, it, it was an amazing reveal trailer because you weren't 100% sure while you're watching it. Like, in the back of your head, there you're like, okay, this might be, this might be something different. I'm not exactly sure here. But then, of course, all they had to do was show Barrett's gun arm, and you know, yeah. I would have loved it if he went out and did the gorilla thing. Like, I was really hoping that's how we were going to start <laughs> this. And uh, that brings up something, you know, Jeremy, you wrote a great editorial that's up on the site right now. Like, the discussions that we had on the bus ride home from Sony's press conference all revolved around Final Fantasy VII, and how do you remake this quirky-ass game? This game that, if you play it now, I don't think younger gamers will really understand just how crazy that game is, unless you play it. I mean, you have cross-dressing, which, you know, Jeremy said, no cross-dress, no buy. Like, you know, Cloud's running around. Uh, Cloud better be hot. That's all I'm going to say. When he cross-dresses, <laughs> he better be really hot. You know, you have snowboarding minigames. You have a, a, a cat riding a giant moogle. Like, th this game is insane. Do we think that that's the game we're going to get? Or are we going to get kind of the, the Final Fantasy VII Advent Childrenized version of that story? Yeah, and I think what makes it especially scary is that they could totally do that. Like, the game is, you know, at its beginning about basically environmental terrorism. <laughs> so they could totally go down this, like, serious, gritty path. But, you know, when you sit around and think about all the nostalgic moments from that game, they're, you know, exactly what you're saying. Like, oh, man, I love snowboarding. Or, you know, Golden Saucer was amazing. Like, Cloud that's really what you think about. Yeah. I mean, you, you have Honeybee in. 
I mean, is, is Honeybee in going to be in the game? Like, it, there's so many avenues that they could go down with this, you know. And then I asked the question, you know, is this going to be a traditional turn-based, turn-based, turn-based role-playing game? And I honestly don't know. Like, we might get an action RPG. We might get something like Crisis Core. I really don't. I, I would not want to be Square Enix right now because they, if we're being honest, they're screwed. No matter what they do with this game, they're going to piss off some element of the fan base. That's just oh, yeah. a fact. Yeah. I don't yeah, think there's any way it can play the same. You don't think that's it's going to be a, a turn-based a game? all of playing it, though. I think it could be turn-based, but I don't think it's going to be exactly the same system. Like, it's it's going to be more like Final Fantasy thirteen style if they do turn-based, like, active, real-time kind of thing. I just, I cannot see them doing, like, this three people in a row, run forward one at a time to, to attack kind of thing. Like, I know that that's great. I love that in games. But I just don't think that they can justify spending all the money they're spending on this and then remaking it with the exact same system if that makes sense like people are going to want something new out of this i feel like Mm -hmm. and then there's going to be people like me that want to play that same kind of system i mean we we were talking i think the next day about how when you play final fantasy 7 now that's one of the snappiest combat systems ever like it is super fast like faster than eight and nine yeah it, Uh, it and that makes it i feel far more playable than eight or nine like i love nine i know somewhere steven just like cried out in pain because we're you know talking a little bit of smack on nine but like nine spends so much time like even just getting into the battle yeah i wouldn't even talk say i'm talking smack on nine because like i also love nine but but i recognize that it's it's slower and that's its thing like that's okay yeah I, i think the speed of seven like plays directly into why i like the persona games so much like i would love a turn based speedy style game i think steven was saying we would probably see something along the lines of 10-2 i think that's a very real possibility i think if yeah. it is that kind of turn-based active time battle it'll look like 10-2 i could see that i i can totally see it going the 13 route personally just because 13 <laughs> sorry sorry what you can make that noise but when you talk about snappy changes and paradigm shifts and all that they to me in my head it's the same type of action yeah, like it's just play, a quick if, change. Like, all right, I need to react to this. You know, you press the button and snap. You're just there. Yeah, if you want, so I can play, totally for, see them going down that. If you want to play cruise control, the video game, that's fine. I mean, that that's perfectly okay, Jeremy. Like, it's not though. But... <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not saying they should include. You know, press X to do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of doubt that they will, but I can see something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same. Yeah, I think as long as it's not an action RPG, like I don't want to play a game where I'm I'm controlling Cloud and like swinging the Buster Sword. I'm not really interested in that style game because to me, Seven is about that ensemble cast. And, you know, I think little things like Vincent and Yuffie actually having a story presence in this game that's pretty much assured. Like they're not going to be side characters that just you know yeah. do the cape flap whenever somebody's talking <laughs> to them. Like if you had Yuffie and Vincent in your party. Final Fantasy VII was even weirder because there'd be moments where just nobody said anything. <laughs> They're just like, well, yeah. I don't I don't even think that they could do it that way, to be honest, like just controlling Cloud. Just because, like, you know, Seven, a big part of it was going out and finding your limit breaks. And, mm-hmm. you know, if for them to take that away would just take away so much from the game. Yeah. I mean, are we going to see an overworld like Final Fantasy XV? Are we going to see, you know, it, I, I want, like, just, I want to completely up, up-rezzed Final Fantasy 7 
on PlayStation 4 cloud with Popeye arms. Like, I just want him to look, like, completely realistic, but have the Popeye arms. Like, that that's how crazy this game is. So, like, you know, it, more power to Square Enix. They're doing exactly what the fans want. But I think, like, now we're starting to see the articles coming out of people saying, like, should they really do this? It's like, after almost 10 years of talking about this and complaining that they need to do it, now they're going to do it. And the fact is that you're going to get the good and the bad as a result of that. Like, there's going to be good stuff that you're really happy about. And no matter what they do, as long as they don't make Greedo shoot first, like, we're going to be okay. You know? Yeah, I think, and I think, honestly, it's going to be a commercial success regardless. Oh, God, yes. Like, a lot of people are going to go out and say, like, why they shouldn't or what they should or shouldn't change it. You know, with every single announcement they do confirming something, those people are going to come out of the woodwork. Yeah. But... You know, they can say that when it comes out, they're still buying it. Yep. They're going to. They have to at this point. I'm calling it the title's going to be Reunion Final Fantasy VII. I think you're right. I think yeah, that's. I, that. I think that. I think it's very telling that they didn't put a title on the trailer. And I think they might incorporate some story aspects from Crisis Core or, God help me, things from advent children i don't think it's just going to be final fantasy 7 i think it's going to have some some sprinklings of the compilation of final fantasy 7 stuff in there i think it definitely totally. needs like zach for sure to be more than just a an optional flashback uh, yep. but well like in the shinra mansion they could easily just throw in like all right like here's a few extra encyclopedias you know read up about the past yay lore <laughs> exactly i i'm excited uh, I, I felt like a 12-year-old kid again with that announcement. Like, I know it was totally pandering fanboy, but, like, I was 12 when I played is Final it, Fantasy VII. I mean, like, is it wrong, though? I, I don't I don't feel like you have to, to justify oh, your no, it's enthusiasm. Not a, it, it's not a negative at all. Like, you know, it, it, there's so many articles out there now about how, like, you start getting very disenfranchised with video games as you get older because you remember the, the magic of playing them as a kid. And I agree with that to an extent, but like right now, playing The Witcher 3 at 30, I feel the same way I did when I played Final Fantasy 7 at 12. I'm, I'm being very honest when I say that. That's one of the best things I can say about Witcher 3. Like, I just have this sense of wonder and exploration and that I'm just, I'm lost in this world. I'm just completely lost in that game the way I was lost with Final Fantasy 7. So, you know, there is part of this whole thing that, you could make the argument that it's pandering, but I don't feel that way. I think that if this is Square Enix saying, look, our fans really want this, we want to deliver something in a very positive way, and if anything, Square Enix has been doing a very good job of listening to their fans, I think yeah. this could be something really special. Yep, I think totally. pandering would just be if they release something that, that clearly had no thought behind it, you know, like if they announce, well, in two months, surprise, we're releasing like, Final Fantasy 7 1.5 or like some weird, you know, yeah. like really low budget, same engine, whatever. But it shows that they're really taking their time and they, they, they have said in numerous interviews how carefully they're handling the project because how much it means to them and the fans. And they want to yep. make sure they deliver something worthy of its legacy. Yep. And they totally could have as well. Like they could have done like a 7.5 and it would have sold. It would have oh, made yeah. them tons of money. Oh, yeah. So the fact that they've waited to like redo or remake the entire thing really shows that they want to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch what these release dates line up with. So, you know, Final Fantasy 15, Kingdom Hearts 3, Final Fantasy 7 Remake, those are three super high-profile games. 
I think Square Enix is going to push really hard for Final Fantasy VII to come out in 2017, because that'll be the 20-year anniversary. So okay. it would not surprise me if maybe Kingdom Hearts got pushed back a little bit. Might still come out relatively close to when it was originally scheduled, but you know, it would not surprise me if a lot of development effort just got wholesale switched over to Final Fantasy VII. And I can hear Steven's tears right now. Well, we're going to talk about Kingdom Hearts 3, because I, th- I think now we got to move, um, you know, briefly, last, lastly in Sony under our umbrella. Unfortunately, we didn't get Persona 5, which I was completely wrong on that. I thought that was going to be a huge announcement, but instead it turned out to be Final Fantasy 7. I'm okay to be wrong on that. Yeah, uh, well, I'm okay with a new announcement over a, over a trailer. Right, we already know it's coming right. this year. Yeah. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, which I think, damn near stole the show surprise in yep. terms of whoa uh gorilla games gets to make something that isn't kill zone and it was gorgeous had aspects of monster hunter kyle got a chance to see it behind closed doors and said it is an rpg you level up the character um has a deep crafting system like that that game just surprised me because it was like so different than what else was being shown on the floor like it was very colorful it had this very realized world, and it was just exciting to see Gorilla doing something different. Yeah, when I saw their name come up on the screen, I was I checked out immediately. I was like, eh, whatever. And then I watched that trailer, and I was like, holy crap, this looks amazing. This looks nothing like I thought it would. And yeah, it was for me. It was definitely like the the surprise game of the show. I mean, FF Seven Remake and Shenmue Three were huge surprises. Yes, and Last Guardian. They were all gigantic. But like, as far as completely new. You know, never been thought of before kind of thing. Never been, like, brand new IP. Brand new, brand new, brand new. That was the thing that really swept me up my feet, and I wish it would have been playable on the show floor, but it was just a video. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that definitely came out of nowhere. Yeah. And there have been leaks for a little bit that Gorilla was working on some kind of RPG. Uh, I think that game's really far out. Uh, I think that's a 2017 title for sure. Uh, But looked interesting. Looked really interesting. Um, Now we get to go to Square Enix. Uh, who? Wow, that press yeah. conference. Wow, they showed a couple of good things, but that was not a good conference at all. Yeah, I mean that. How about, how about that Final Fantasy Worlds, huh? Oh, uh, forever the game that was announced before the Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, I still don't know what that's about. I know what is that game like? I don't know. Um, Square Enix, I think, got. Press conferences used to be more geared toward investors. Like, here are the games that are coming out. Here's our market strategy. You know, think back to the Little Big Planet, like, pie chart conference where they tried to guss up, like, all their numbers and everything. That's what press conferences used to be. Now press conferences are on Spike TV. They're being streamed online. They're just all video game announcements all the time. They're basically commercials. Somebody forgot to tell Square Enix that a press conference is basically a commercial. So we got... Lots of really, really long pauses and, and drawn-out talk. At one point, the translator seems to have fallen asleep, and we were just <laughs> listening to a Japanese person, and I was just staring at Derek and Steven like, are you guys going to interpret this? Because I don't know what's happening. But sprinkled in that conference were some really cool announcements. So, you know, Kingdom Hearts 3, we got to see that running. It looked like a real game. Uh, looked very impressive. Like it's using kind of a very subtle shell, uh, shell shade, uh, cell shading look. So yeah. it, it kind of popped 
and the color was just super vibrant on that. Um, I can't remember anything else about that trailer because Stephen was yelling at everybody to be quiet in the room and was just basking in that trailer for the rest of E3. Uh, but it looked cool. It looked cool. And if Kingdom Hearts can kind of recapture the magic for me of Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, I'll be on board. I think actually when you mention color once again, because you mentioned it in Horizon and Kingdom Hearts 3, color is kind of like the running theme for this show that really swept me off my feet. Um, like the reemergence of color in big budget games, like studios realizing that, no, we don't just want gritty, dark, blah, shooting the guys. Like we actually want things that are vibrant, that are alive, that capture the imagination. And Kingdom Hearts was another game representative of that. I mean, we knew Kingdom Hearts was going to be colorful because it's Kingdom Hearts, but it was really nice to see. Damn yeah, look at Fallout 4, right? Like compared to Fallout 3. Or yeah, and, even, and they, because they have, yeah, exactly. They have the post-apocalyptic environments and they have that, that grittiness that people come to expect, but they also have color. They also show a world that's alive and not made of freaking like brown Legos. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of that. I would agree with you. I think I think color was hugely important, and I think getting out of the confines of what we've come to expect from AAA game development was kind of hugely important this year. So Square Enix shows Kingdom Hearts, kind of brings the house down. They then show the exact same Final Fantasy VII <laughs> video again, which I, I think that's a clear sign that that was always going to be a part of their press conference, and then Sony was like, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. We'll show this that. is pretty big. I think we can give it a better spot. Yeah, like Let's borrow this. Can you imagine if our first look at Final Fantasy VII would have been during that Square Enix press conference? It would have no, lost all. No, I actually, I actually can't imagine that at all. It would have been terrible. It would have lost all impact. Um, you know, then we got near. Hashtag. <laughs> near we don't know what to call it yet but it's being made by platinum but that but with being made by platinum you got to wonder which platinum are you getting are you getting good platinum or are you getting b team platinum what's b team platinum for you B-team what, what plat- does b team make b team makes legend of cora <laughs> oh no <laughs> I, and platinum i don't i don't how, think they'll b team it how i really doubt it how many games is platinum making right now like Scalebound? aren't they also working on that metroid game they're working on uh, near there were a couple like platinum is making everything now and i'm like what happened here like i think platinum's pretty good don't get me wrong but w- what in the world is going on here did everybody just play bayonetta 2 and lost their damn minds well, Bayonetta 2 was really good. So. I, I haven't played Hopefully. it Hopefully. Uh, so, yeah, uh, near. you know, what do you guys think of that? Is that is that something that you guys are really excited about? Yes. Because uh, <laughs> okay. <the> first, <laughs> I think the first Nier is a game that has kind of an understated beauty, and that sounds really pretentious. But I think I think there's a lot to, to be gained from playing Nier. I think it's one of the more artistic games out there in terms of like the 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 story it tells and the meta narrative it crafts almost like because that that game is not at all what it seems like in the very beginning because at the beginning it seems like just your average like middling action rpg with kind of bad controls and like eh, combat but there's so much more to it and it definitely has a ton of flaws like that studio has this weird thing where they can't seem to make games that work well, but they always deliver <laughs> uniquely, like weirdly singular experiences. I don't know what it is. So I think with Platinum there, 
working on it, I think they can definitely make it a more playable game while still delivering that that weirdness that we've come to expect from the series. They also always have amazing music, and it's the same composer on it, Keiichi Okabe. So that's exciting. I've asked you guys before, and I'm going to ask again, should I play the original Nier? I, I can't really answer that, because it's janky as hell. Because oh I know that you're going to, like, if you play it, you're going to come to me and ask me, like, what the hell, why did you make me play this? What the hell's wrong with you? Like, what is this game? And then I'll tell you, Rob, it's okay. Listen to my wisdom. Keep playing. And then you won't, and then you'll forever be like, yeah, one time Derek told me to play Nier, and it sucked. I don't know what he was talking about. I know a little bit of the meta-narrative that goes on with the game and, like, having to beat it a couple of times. Like, I know some of that from scanning wiki articles. That aspect of the game I find really interesting, almost in kind of like a a Shadow of the Colossus, like, you have to peel the layers back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, It's such a strange game. Like, I I can tell you that I, I didn't really enjoy playing it for a while. Oh God. There was, a, there was, and and I don't, I don't think that any game should have to. I don't think games should be like that. I don't think you should have to suffer, you know, to excess to enjoy something at the end. But it's one that I stuck with, and the payoff was like really unexpectedly rewarding. So mm-hmm. I don't really know what to say about it. It's, I, I couldn't even rate it really. It's, it's weird. Yeah, well, I think so I'm I, kind of in the Rob camp actually, where I tried it and I just couldn't get into it. And I, I can't see Rob suffering through it, but you know, maybe maybe a let's play or something would be for you. Yeah. 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 I think so. I think it's worth experiencing. Is it worth playing yourself? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesse, were you trying to get in there on Nier? Well, I, I think I had a similar experience to Jeremy, and I I had this feeling, uh, maybe it was from reading you know other reviews and other people's comments on it, but that that it was something there that I that I really wanted to to find, but. I, I couldn't stick with it, so. I think yeah. that's justified, honestly. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of you guys are wrong for doing that. I think it's just, it's one of those games that you have to be really committed to uncovering its secrets mm-hmm. in order to get everything out of it. And uh, that involves some degree of masochism, so it's not for everybody. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm excited to see what they do with it. I think it's a, it's one of those games that you don't expect to get a sequel, and now it kind of is, and that's cool. It sounds like there's going to be three playable characters, so... They have a plan for that game. It's it's more than kind of the nebulous trailer that they started with. There was also a lot of that at, at E3 this year. A lot of like, we're going to give you like the first initial announcement of this and then like stay tuned for Gamescom. It's like now we have all of these different uh, conventions over the course of the year. They don't have to shoot everything at E3. So like last year you got the Bloodborne announcement and like a gameplay demo and then at Gamescom, the game was playable. Like, two months later, the game was playable for the general public. So I think that we're seeing more and more of that is kind of like, you know, start the excitement with one of the conventions, then allow people to play it. Like I said, Horizon Zero Dawn might be really far out, but maybe it's not. I mean, some of the announcements at E3, like Fallout 4 coming out in November, the new Hitman game coming out in December, like, th- this is shocking to me that, like, in the past few years where you know how many how many years have we been seeing uh, metal gear solid 5 we've been seeing that game since 2012 and it's finally coming out three years running up for that game and meanwhile we have titles that are being announced and delivered within a year of being shown like that's crazy to me right now it's such yeah there's definitely like a a trickle system with it where they're like all right well you know e3 press conference here's a little here you know, over the next few weeks, we'll do interviews, and then, like you said, Gamescom will roll around, and I'm sure we'll get more. 
Yep, uh, TGS. Uh, I think we'll kind of end the press conference with, like, uh, you know, talking about Persona 5 briefly and how it was at E3, but it was just an English-language trailer, which was which was disappointing until the news kind of came out that that game is apparently coming out in the West this year, like, in 2015. Like, what? <laughs> I was wondering if they were going to stick to that because they had never given any indication to the contrary. But, I mean, if you just... If you think about it, it seems so unlikely. But it, it seems nuts to me for that game to be coming out unless they are doing kind of what they did with Catherine, where it's being localized at the same time they're making it. Yeah. Which is well, a possibility. Jeremy and I were talking about this, actually. And personally, because there, there was a new trailer that came out today. Yep. And Ooh. it was awesome. It was technically. Awesome. Well, I don't know if it's even out. technically out it was, yet. It leaked, yeah. You it can was in the, find uh, it. The bonus DVD that came with Persona 4 Dancing All Night in Japan. There was a trailer there, and people finally ripped it and uploaded it. And now it's uh, it's everywhere, so Atlas can't take them down fast enough. But uh, it looks amazing. But at at this point, like especially with the second trailer, which just showed some really preliminary gameplay, I've seen enough. I'm in. Oh yeah. I'm ready for Persona Five, and I actually don't want any more of it spoiled. Mm-hmm. I don't. I actually don't want to know who all the playable characters are. You know, like I I just want. I want to experience that game with a sense of wonder and mystery. And that's not something we get often because there's such a marketing push for everything these days that you get trailers that outline story element after story element after story element. And and I feel like a lot of the times by the time I get a game, it's like, well, I know, you know, at least half of what's going to happen. And it's kind of a bummer. Well, there's also like a a sense of camaraderie that we kind of experienced today because, you know, we're texting back and forth and we're both just really like full of excitement and questions about everything. And, you kind of miss out on some of that when they release everything right away, you know? So it's nice to be able to, like, text your friend, like, oh, man, did you see the new trailer? Like, what's going on with the prison cell? Like, who's going to be in it? Who's this guy in the alley? Like, it's nice to have that sort of sense of wonder about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't and- need them to have a website that says, like, you know, name of character. And it's, like, a mysterious painter who the characters encounter. What message does he have for them? Like, I don't, I don't need that. Just let me, let me figure it out. I'm with you, Derek. Like, I'm on board with that game. I don't need to see any more. And I kind of like how the the new trailer today didn't show a whole lot. And it showed, like, a little bit of battle scenes, a little bit of the ideas of the game. And I'm like, okay, I'm in media blackout now. I don't want to see anything else. I just want that game. I'm going to play it. I'm going to love it. If If that game comes out in 2015... I just don't even know what to make of this year. Like, th- this is. year has been insane. And I, An incredibly I, Merry Christmas. Yeah, and I, and I mean that in a very positive way. Like, I, I know it's kind of easy to, to see a lot of these big releases that have come out on the new consoles as, you know, giant disappointments. And that was kind of the narrative that was being created for a long time with games like Watch Dogs and, and the new Assassin's Creed. Like, not to beat up on ubisoft but it's so damn easy sometimes uh but there was so much so much disappointment around this console generation and then you look at the stuff that's coming out now and it's like whoa this is we're okay we're doing okay um so now i think it's time for us to talk about the games that we actually saw at the show uh games we got time to spend we got to spend some time with um and and jeremy i think it's time for you and i to to do this all right. Let's do it. Uh, Dark Souls 3, amazing. Yep. 
So, uh, nope, you're wrong. Uh, oh, I'm, so, I'm totally right. So we got um, a behind-closed-doors demo of Dark Souls 3. I'm sure everybody's going to see gameplay for it because it's going to be at Gamescom. They're probably going to let it be playable. Uh, Hidetaki Miyazaki was there. I got to shake his hand, and surprisingly enough, spiders did not come out of it, and I was not absorbed into like some dark realm. Uh, he seemed a super nice guy, super mild-mannered. Uh, he was demoing the game, and... Uh, at the end of the demo, there was a QA session, and I raised up my hand, because I'm that guy, and I said, you know, who's directing the game? And Miyazaki-san said, I am, because he, he, uh, he understands, I think, a little bit of English. So he said, you know, I'm directing it, and I did praise the sun in front of him, you know, totally fangirled a little bit. And then the Namco PR person kind of jumped in and said, well... He's co-directing it. He came onto this project late, but he's been in a supervisor role, and now he's co-directing the game. And what I saw at a Dark Souls three, you know, I've had a couple, I've had like a week to mull it over in my head. What I saw at a Dark Souls three was a sequel. You know, I, I saw a sequel to Dark Souls one and Dark Souls two. You know, I, I saw a lot of the same gameplay ideas. There was a little bit of new stuff with like the weapon stances and uh, being able to use different attacks while in like a power stance or something like that. But to me, it just it felt really familiar. And I had to go back to listen to uh, to back when you know Zach was on the show, you know, way back in the day, and Dark Souls was just announced. And I said back on that show, like, I'm really excited to play Dark Souls, but I don't want to have this experience too many times. Like, Demon Souls, I think every Souls game takes a little piece of you with it. And, you know, Demon Souls was so amazing, and so was Dark Souls, and Dark Souls 2 was okay, and I, Bloodborne re- reignited my love again. But, like, it just looked so damn similar that I'm not really interested in it. But then Jeremy went and saw it, and you loved it. I did. I did really love it. And I think that, you know, because we kind of had this conversation before where, you know, you can kind of get fatigued on Dark Souls. And for me, I I was lucky enough to skip Dark Souls 2. Apparently that was a lucky move on my part. Um, But I never played Dark Souls 2. So to me, when I went to see it, you know, something that they said kind of in the beginning of it was like, this is the evolution of Dark Souls. This is, you know, kind of where we're getting to the perfection of what we think Dark Souls is. And that was exactly what I saw. You know, I saw, you know, a better battle system, you know, you know, more variety as far as how you attack and how you handle different situations. And then just, you know, a finer tuned Dark Souls that, you know, look to build upon a successful formula. Mm -hmm. So for me, I wasn't looking at it like, oh, God, the same thing. I was looking at it like they did it. They they found the perfect Dark Souls child and I want it. I want to play it now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a little bit. There were a couple things in the demo that did interest me. Um, I, I like the one kind of black, inky, almost octopus-like enemy that erupted out of a corpse. I thought that was interesting. There was a boss that kind of behaved cool because she was kind of a dancer-like boss, so she had very like subtle movements and like yeah, the way she walked around. But but if we're, but if we're being honest, it's just another giant enemy with two swords, which was kind of the the giant glaring flaw with Dark Souls 2, and I guess for me, the argument comes down to, you know, if, if you think about, I know this is a, a radio podcast, so you got to bear with me here a little bit, listeners, but if you think about, like, a straight vertical line was Demon Souls to Dark Souls, and then D- Dark Souls to Dark Souls 2, 
And then you kind of had, like, a branch into Bloodborne, where, like, you know, the new combat system, the speed of the game, the regenerating health, the transforming weapons kind of made that game its own. I kind of wanted another game, maybe not necessarily called Dark Souls 3, to kind of go in the opposite way. Like, maybe make it a little bit more realistic, maybe make it even more of, like, a give-and-take of battle. Like, we, we saw For Honor at um, at Ubisoft, which was their kind of, like, three-on-three melee-based combat game that's using a lot of stances and very subtle movement and really focused in on, like, the intricacies of sword play. And I was kind of like, maybe that's kind of what I wanted. Like, if Bloodborne's going the real action, you know, in-your-face route, maybe I want something that's a little bit more subtle. Maybe I want something that's a little bit more intense, almost like the Deep Down videos. Maybe that's what I wanted. But, you know, Derek, I kind of want to get you in here for a second, because you didn't like the Souls games, but then Bloodborne you were kind of more in tune with. Does the idea of going back to Souls after Bloodborne hold any interest for you? I'm not sure. It it completely depends on how those systems have evolved. Like, I have to get my hands on it, or at least see some good footage of what it's going to play like. Because if it's... The, the things that, that bug me about the Souls games were more, like, operational, like, you know, system-level things. Like, uh, we, we've talked about this on previous shows, about how I think Bloodborne is just more streamlined. Mm-hmm. And I, I, th- I think as long as Dark Souls 3 takes those alterations, it might be more appealing to me. But I really, I'm not sure. Okay, okay. I, I guess, like, I, I came back from E3, and I got a little bit of time to play Bloodborne again, and I'm, I'm really excited for the, the expansion whenever we learn more about that. And, I, you know, I don't know, Jeremy. I, I just, I plug Bloodborne in, and that just sings to me in a way that when I, I played a little bit of Dark Souls the other day, too, and it just... I still love Dark Souls. Don't get me wrong. Like I still adore that game, but like Bloodborne, you just you got the fatigue, man. You're worn I th- out. I don't, I think I don't know how else it. to put it. Because to me, it. to me, I think the difference in our in our thought patterns on it is that to you, Bloodborne is the continuation of the Dark Souls franchise. Mm-hmm. But to me, they're separate games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can look at Dark Souls and I can look at Bloodborne and say like, okay, well, you know, Bloodborne to me is a different beast. You know, they're both fun. They're both interesting, but. I, I don't mesh them together in my head the way that I think you do. So when Dark Souls 3 came out, I think you wanted Bloodborne 2 and you got Dark Souls 3. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that that means that Dark Souls 3 is less of a game or not going to be good. It's just, it's the next version of it. It's the, to me, what I think is going to be the epitome of the Dark Souls experience. So I think if you're a Dark Souls fan and you're not worn out, you're going to play it and you're going to love it. But if you played you know, Bloodborne, and you're like, I, I, I put Dark Souls behind me, I'm ready to move forward into Bloodborne, you know, I don't know if you're going to have as good of a time. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, that, that's, that's kind of how I felt. Um, you know, maybe it'll be really good. Uh, I kind of feel like I'm going to sit this one out. Uh, I think you're right. I think i got to get the fatigue out of my system. I have zero desire. Like, that, that DLC for Dark Souls 2, I, I know I'm like the one person that didn't like it, but... I really didn't like it. I found it to be very lazy in terms of gameplay design and just threw massive mobs of enemies at you instead of doing anything interesting. So, you know, maybe Miyazaki can pull it off. I I think it's a little telling that this game has been in development for two years, which means that they've been working on it before you even got a chance to play Dark Souls 2. (laughs) That's a little concerning. Um, I think that that shows that they went right away to AAA game design 101. And 
maybe that means it'll be good. I don't know. But I, I'm i kind of out, and I, I think Jeremy's right. I think I was more excited for a Bloodborne 2 than a Dark Souls 3. But we're going to find out soon, because apparently it comes out in early 2016. We shall see. Um, I, I will gladly play it. Don't you worry. Okay, I think you're reviewing it. I, I, don't, <laughs> want, I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, so I've been talking a lot, so I want other people to kind of jump in with stuff that they saw on the show floor. Like, tell me about some of the stuff you guys saw. Mm, I'm. I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I saw my. It's going to be obvious for me, but uh, the, the stuff I was most interested to see was like I saw Trails of Cold Steel. That was awesome. Um, it's. It doesn't. You know, it's it's Trails. It's the Trails series in 3D. It doesn't play super differently from like Trails in the Sky. Um, so if you're not into story heavy traditional turn-based rpgs you're not going to like it but i think it looks fantastic and i i know i love the soundtrack uh it's a lot to be excited about it's the kind of game that doesn't demo all that well because it's just you doing a turn-based battle like cool um but it looked great i was really happy to see that uh i was surprised uh that disgaea 5 looks pretty cool i got to play that um we had a an appointment with them andrew and i saw it andrew liked it a lot he's a really big disgaea fan and i'm I was earlier on, um, and I lost interest in the series around three, so I'm kind of interested again, and that's neat. Um, I don't think there were any, like, huge surprises on the show floor for me this year, which was a little bit of a bummer. There wasn't any game that I stumbled across and just went, whoa, this looks awesome. Um, It was all kind of stuff that I knew I wanted to check out, uh, that I was glad to get my hands on, but the the show floor for me was weaker than the conferences, which were just mind-blowingly good. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I was like, you know, just to go into that kind of same like, oh my god, where did this come from? For me, that had to be Death's Gambit. And I know you were there, Derek, with me for a little bit to yeah. kind of take a look at it. I'm so excited about that game. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I got to sit and talk with uh, one of the creators, Alex Kubadera, about it. And it just, it looks so exciting to me. It's got, you know, the Metroidvania points to it, the Dark Souls kind of look. You know, all with like Shadow of the Colossus bosses. Like I, you know, I'm I'm just so excited to see it, and you know, I don't I don't know what else to say about it. And that trailer really piqued my interest after I read your your preview and and watched the trailer. I was like, okay, I can get, I can get down with this. I think yeah, uh, the the preview is going to be up I think within the next day or so. But yeah, it just looks really fun, and it was interesting because the creator was telling me that they have so many things that are set up. You know, not just to be like you know, kind of a Metroidvania hack and slash sort of thing. But they also have everything set up for speedrunners as well and different ways to go about streamlining the process to get through the game. And it just really seems like they're taking everything into account for it. Mm-hmm. So I got to play Death Gambit a little bit too, and I also played Salt and Sanctuary, and those were two kind of like 2D inspired by Dark Souls type games, but I think you know Death Gambit kind of set itself aside because it was going for massive boss encounters, almost along the lines of Shadow of the Colossus. Like that's what they were talking about with their game, which I found very interesting. I will say though that both games kind of had the same issue when it came to controls. Like 
trying to have this very measured amount of movement in a 2D space, there were times where, like, I would be hitting the enemy, but I'd be slowly, like, moving through them. Because you don't take damage from rubbing up against an enemy like you do in, like, old-school Castlevania games or Mega Man. So I'd end up, like, slowly moving through the enemy and then have to, like, shift my body back around to keep attacking them. So both games kind of had that... It didn't feel solid yet, but I was excited what both games were doing. And and the pixel art style of Death Scan was very striking. And the kind of like, I almost want to say paper mache look of Salt and Sanctuary, where it feels like really pieced together. Those two games were very striking on the show floor. On a side note, though, if anybody is listening who runs Indiecade, I don't know what you guys were smoking. But that, <laughs> that Indiecade booth was a mess. Compared to last year where it was so open and it was easy to walk around and talk to people, the new Indicade booth felt like a little petting zoo with a gate around it. Like you had to walk into this very uncomfortable space and like it was super cramped. Death's Gambit was actually outside of that area, which was really good yeah. for it. But it was like impossible to see what games were inside of that Indicade booth. It was like between that and the Microsoft booth, which was like the, the black hole nexus of death because you couldn't even move around <laughs> like they just need to work on like basic booth setup did anybody go near sony where like project morpheus was that was like a salmon swimming upstream if you got into that area like you were going to get swept into seeing project morpheus even if you didn't want to that was weird uh, well, it wasn't just them i mean nintendo on their side <laughs> mario maker <laughs> oh my god it was terrible you can't go near nintendo you're just gonna die. Like somebody's yeah. just gonna. All you have to shout is like, "There's a new amiibo," and people are gonna get like ripped apart on the show floor, like just eviscerated. Um, so yeah, those those were some good games that we saw uh, on the floor. Jesse, did you see anything that really like jumped out at you? Yeah, I mean, I I saw the Banner Saga too, and I I was already really anticipating that one, um, but I played their their demo, and it it really blew me away. I I. It's it's sort of more of the same, right? They did, they haven't strayed too far in terms of their storytelling or their gameplay, but they've really just refined everything. And right, the Better Saga is really kind of defined by choice, right? Um, and so they've, I think they put a lot of emphasis on giving you even more choice, making the choices um, feel important, giving them sort of gravity. Um, I, I can't wait for that game. Oh my goodness. I still need to play the first one. I'm a really bad person. You you are. You're, you know, I, I, well, I, we've known that for a long time. I know. So. Yeah, I mean, I know. although I do have to say, I should have mentioned it before, but best game I saw on the show floor, best game of the entire show, needs to win all of our awards. Butt sniffing pugs, man. Ooh, <laughs> it was that so was the good. Game we saw. They had, so they had this this game, right? So it's it's like this, it was an indie game. It was at the IndieCade. And I still don't know what it was about, but it looked like a kind of sandboxy 2D thing where you ha you played as a pug, and the controller was like, if you can imagine a hollowed-out arcade stick box flipped on its back, it had a plush dog butt sticking out of it. It's like <laughs> the butt end what? of a dog with a giant ball that was, it was basically like a giant trackball that you just maneuvered around and two buttons, and you moved your pug around and had to sniff the other bugs, the other pugs' butts, and you got powers, like giving yourself extra big poops, and it was amazing. And I want to know more about it. 
And then, and, and I t- we talked to the creator for a minute, and he was really, really nice. And he said to me, I quote, I just want to have fun butt stuff. <laughs> and after that, Derek was in. He was sold. <laughs> I just, I just like, don't even know what to make of what's happening let's, right let's now. Just, let's have fun butt stuff. I, yeah, is, anyway, it was hilarious. But. It's just a flowering of creativity going on in oh games. God. Did you have to say flowering? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I got to see Deus Ex. Holy crap. <laughs> I was so like, you know, we've talked before about how disappointed I was with Thief, which was the second game from Eidos Montreal after, you know, Human Revolution was a great game. And then Thief was kind of a giant ball of human filth. Like it just did not work at all. It it's felt trigger like trigger word now. Yeah, it, it felt like it was made by 17 different development studios with three different directors and nobody knew what the hell they were doing. Um, and then it was shoved out the door, like stitched together with rigging tape. And then I and then I see Mankind Divided and I'm like, wow, this is just, you know, it would be easy to say it's just bigger, better Deus Ex, like, you know, just bigger levels and more powers. But I think what surprised me so much was like the synergy between everything that was being done. Like it had a lot more of a Bioshock feel with like weapon in one hand and powers in the other. So Adam wasn't just using like a power and then going back to like regular sneaking. He was like using his rifle and like slowing down other characters and like hitting them or or using the Icarus rush to knock them up in the air or, you know, stealthing in between cover. Now you can do takedowns from cover. Like I wrote up a pretty big preview for because I was just so surprised how everything seemed to be working in this game. It was like we know what made the first game so fun, which was the powers, and now we've just blown it up. We've just blown up everything that we've done. And at the risk of maybe making it sound negative, I got a real Bioshock Infinite feel like when we saw that first gameplay reveal for Bioshock Infinite and it just felt like Bioshock completely blown out. That's how I felt when I was watching this demo, but apparently this game is coming out sooner rather than later, and somebody was actually playing it in front of me. So it felt like a real game, but it just felt like a really big version of Human Revolution. I was really impressed with that game. It was one of the most striking games I saw at E3. I get it, because he strikes people to kill them. Yep, nobody cares. Oh. Nobody cares that that game no, looks I, awesome. I just haven't, I haven't finished Human Revolution. Um, in fact, I've only gotten like three hours into it ever so while i think that could be cool i was actually uh, i was kind of put off by the first reveal trailer for human revolution uh, mm-hmm. um the new one i because it was just like watch him kill people in high death it was like it seemed very thematically inconsistent but i i, I don't know like I no, just wasn't I, super into it from what I saw. I can see it. I, I think the music is what got me in that trailer because they used a little bit of the Icarus theme from the original uh, Deus Ex reveal. But I think when so you proud. see when you see the game in motion, you really get a sense that they've opened it up. And to have this game coming out probably pretty close to Dishonored 2, you know, one game's in our coverage because Deus Ex is more of an RPG, but I think that those two games will play off each other very well. You know, I love choice in my games i love it when developers give me the ability to solve problems my way i think human revolution did a good job of that i think Dishonored did a better job of that and so if the mankind divided team is like look we gotta show up dishonored and the dishonored team is like we gotta show up the human revolution people that just creates good games you know what i mean when everybody just pushes each other to be as yeah. good as they possibly can be 
healthy competition. Yeah, no, you want healthy competition in the industry. Uh, so yeah, Mankind Divided kind of ended up being one of those games that really surprised me. Now, I have a game I want to ask you guys about. Do you guys know what Mordheim City of the Damned is? <laughs> I do now. <laughs> so this became a running joke of E3, because when, that, when I was scheduled for Mordheim, being completely honest, which is a a video game version of the tabletop uh, game workshop uh, Warhammer game. I was so not interested, like, at all. I was just like, all right, I guess this is like my penance for getting to go see Deus Ex, whatever, I'll go see this. And then I sit down to watch this demo, and Jeremy's right next to me, and I just lean over at him, and I'm like, this game's Valkyria Chronicles. Like... What in the world is going on here right now? Like, every advertisement for this game makes it look like an action RPG, like, you know, gritty, dark, medieval, like, kind of Bloodborne-esque. And then you start playing the damn game, and it's just Valkyria Chronicles, and that's awesome! I totally thought it was going to be, like, a medieval team fortress, to be completely yeah. honest. I had no clue. I, I couldn't believe it. Like, it, and now, you know, the game's in early access now. Um... You can play it. It, it. It's a little rough around the edges. Like, it needs some animation work and stuff. They're, they're still working on it. They're being very honest about that. But just some of the cool things going on in that game, like, you know, characters have permadeath. You can have a character that gets their leg torn off, and then they're walking. They'll come back to your army weeks later, and they have, like, a peg leg. You know, you can play online uh, against other people, and the permadeath is still on. Like, that game just feels so cool. Like... I don't know if I'm going to get into the aesthetic. Like, I'm not super down with that, you know, really gritty, kind of nasty game workshop look. But to go from zero to interested in the title just from a demo, I actually told the guys, like, if you look at their Steam page right now, if you watch a video for that game, it just looks like Jeremy saying it could be a medieval Team Fortress game. And it's not. It's actually a Valkyria Chronicles style game. So if you want to see something a little different, I would recommend to the listeners, look at Mordheim. It's it's a little surprising, you know? Some, yeah, and just to, uh, well, just to kind of like set people at ease, because like you said, it is kind of still in development, but the folks behind their forums are actually paying really good attention to all of the feedback that the players are giving them, those who, you know, sign up for the early access. So if there is a problem, like, don't think that it's it's permanent like they're they're seriously taking the fan feedback into account like if you just go to their like steam page you can see the recent updates that they've made and it's it's kind of crazy how many changes they've been making mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was a cool one I, I love it when surprises like that happen at e3 where like i go from ah, i'm not gonna be interested in this at all this is gonna be stupid or you you think you know exactly what the game is and then it turns out nope wasn't even close didn't even have a good idea Always nice. Yep, yep. So what else did people see? Uh, I got yeah, I got to to try the Oculus Rift. Um, I actually went to the quote unquote Oculus E3 press conference that was like the week before mm -hmm. in San Francisco. Um, but I actually I made an appointment, stood in line, and I tried Chronos, which is um, from Gunfire Games. They made Darksiders two, I think. And so it's an action RPG. Um, the way the guy described it is like they're fishing in the same pond as uh, Shadow of the Colossus and Ico, right? It's sort of very stark and atmospheric, and you're just alone 
guy crawling through this labyrinth. Um, but obviously the big difference is you have a VR headset. Um, and I was really skeptical because it's a, it's a third-person view, right? So you're not doing it from the character's point of view. They said that was get, like making people sick and it just wouldn't work. Um, so I thought, like, what the hell is the point if you're just going to... If, if you're not going to be in the first-person view. But when I put that headset on, you know, and I looked over the side of the cliff and I, I, I got a little bit of vertigo, like, that's when it really hit me that, like, this could be, <clears throat> like, a really transformative technology and can really, you know, just change the way you experience a game. Like, it was, it was like... Being able to look, just like to really look around the room, like you're in the room, is was nothing that is like nothing I'd ever experienced in a game before. Mm-hmm. Um, and the yeah, game and itself, I, yeah. Jeremy, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say I think we're all just kind of like a little, you know, not sure what to think of it. So to hear that it at least it you know gave you that feeling is nice. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know. There's a lot of hype around VR technology, and I'm a little wary, right? I, I think it's too easy to get swept up in these things, but when you try it on, it really is something different, right? And that's if, if we're always kind of questing after the next big thing and, the, the, like, the new thing, like, this is definitely going to give you something that you haven't seen before. Um, and the game itself, I, I felt, played well, you know, the... The controls are pretty tight, and I'm not a big action RPG person myself, but I felt like I had a good handle, and like I was, I was very mobile, which was nice. Um, and the other gimmick that they're doing is instead of having a leveling mechanic, you you basically go into the dungeon, and every time you die, you get kicked out, and you age a year. So you're hmm. following this character through his life, right? So you start out, you're a young man, you're you're quick and you're agile. You get older, you slow down a little bit, but you, you get a little wiser. You you get some magic. Um, so I think that you know they they've got some interesting premises and they put together they at least put together a good demo. So cool, cool. That's actually one of my big shames of E3 was I didn't get a chance to try any of the VR stuff. You know, the lines were were better this year than they had been last year, but I still just didn't have the time to kind of sit down and say, okay, I'm going to stay in line for a little bit and and actually try out this VR demo. That may be part part of why I wasn't wowed by so much on the show floor this year, just because I didn't have the time to go to a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff. Like, we had had a ton of appointments. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle kept us busy. Well, there was a lot to see. I mean, no, there definitely was. Like, it, it was a big show, and I, and I think that's right. Like, we were all still coming off of the the press conferences, which had so much stuff that it was still like, once we got to the show for, floor, we were still thinking about that stuff. So, no, yeah, I I think it was a great E three. I, I definitely felt like there was more to see this year than last year, and you know, I walked away going, I love video games again, and that's all I can really ask for, I guess. I walked away exhausted, but very happy. I think we were all very exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> oh, still man. tired, man. Yeah, no, I'm still trying to like catch up on my sleep here a little bit and get back into the swing of things. Anything else that people saw that they, they got to spend some time gushing about? Um, uh, Robert 
Did you play Moon Hunters? I did not. I saw Moon Hunters. I was like right next to it for a little bit, so I got to watch it a little bit. It looked cool. Um, kind of a top-down, kind of co-op-y game. I, I thought it looked interesting. It did. I just didn't have a time to like put any any real effort into it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I kind of want to yeah. make sure we uh, we talk about Until Dawn. Oh, God. Okay, Let, let's talk about Moon Hunters, then we'll uh... get to Until Dawn. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> so, Moon um, Hunters, Jesse. Moon, Moon Hunters. Hunters. I mean, I, I got to play with some just another random person off the floor. I, it was a lot of fun. I like co-op games a lot. Um, and I like that it's it's procedurally generated, so the the world will you know sort of build randomly, but then it'll also react to your choices, right? If you if you're compassionate and you cultivate a uh, reputation for being compassionate, people will react to you one way, and differently if you are are vengeful, which I'm I completely accidentally ended up being vengeful. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was a lot of fun. It seemed like it had a lot of potential. And I got to speak to, you know, the the woman who had built the game. And it was, it was nice to sort of feel her passion for the game. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite parts about E3 is getting to, to talk to developers. Because you kind of get a better sense for what's going on with their game and whether or not you're going to be interested in it's, it. It's kind of surreal. Like, because mm-hmm. Andrew and I also played Moon Hunters. And uh, we were playing it and we didn't even realize because they were... A couple of people hovering around, but I didn't see any. I didn't see they were turned around, and then um, the developer came up to us, and it took me a minute to realize because she was like, "Oh yeah, if you go over there, you can, you know, you can click on that thing." And I was like, "Oh okay, some person just played this game and is giving me advice." Like I have no idea why I didn't connect in my mind that she she was uh, the dev for a second. I was like, "Oh holy yeah. crap!" Like I'm I'm talking to the maker of this game. This is amazing. Yeah. Well, I think their badges said Sony. Like they didn't identify them by their development studio, which was oh nice yeah. Then I guess maybe I just thought that she was uh like demoing it, you know. Yeah, that's what like I thought. Like a Sony employee, but yeah, that 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 was cool, and I was also uh, into it from what little I played. I I think those kinds of games are great for couch co-op, and I miss the days when I would get together with people like Jeremy and play things like that. So I think it shows promise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of indie titles at both booths. Like I got to play Below again, which I, I think once again was like my favorite game of the show that I got to actually play. I uh, really wish there were just more RPG mechanics and we would actually cover it. But there were so many games on the show floor, like so many indie titles that you kind of had to walk around a little bit to see the stuff and see what you really wanted to spend time with. And I, I like that. I feel like I'm discovering something when I walk around the show floor and I do something like that. All right, Jeremy, set the stage for Until Dawn. Oh, man. This game looks so brutal, and I love it. Um, it's kind of in the same vein as like Heavy Rain, those kind of games where you know, you're really just kind of making the decisions and navigating through quick time events. But, man, the decisions, they, the options they gave you, oof. Mm-hmm. So it's, oh. it's kind of set up like a 1980s or 1990s uh, teen horror movie. So like in my preview, I talked about how, you know, there's a bunch of horny teenagers hanging out at this cabin in the woods. And then one of them ends up missing and they start dying one by one. But the decisions that you make in the game impact who stays alive and who stays dead. So the first time I played it through, uh, my main the character I was playing as at the end of it, he ended up dead. 
And I kind of had this moment where I was like, well, how much choice did I actually have in the experience? Could I actually save him? You know, you start having that heavy rain feeling of how much of this was scripted, how much of this was really up to my decision. And then when I started watching other people play it and there were things like, oh, if you get the um, uh, the flare gun and you give it to that character, the flare gun actually lets them get away and they don't end up dead. Or if you make a mistake at the very beginning of the scene and miss a quick time prompt, that character dies right away and not later on in the scene. So it it felt very visceral. It felt very gruesome. Uh, Andrew actually said that he couldn't watch when the hook part happened. He was like either. really freaked yeah. out by that. But it... It was just so interesting and so damn different from everything else that was on the show floor that, you know, that game may end up completely falling apart and the story might be completely nonsensical, but what they showed, I am, like, completely into that game and I just want to play it, you know, with my wife, you know, making decisions about where we want to go and what we want to do in the game, and that that was just a really cool demo. Yeah, I really couldn't believe how different the experiences were, like, because... The demo was, what, like 20 minutes? Yeah, it was a but, long demo. Yeah, but even, like, from the very beginning, like, one of the very first decisions could just decide, like, all right, well, am I moving forward with two? Is someone dying? You know, it's it's crazy to think that someone else, like, for even that short span of time can have such a drastically different experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it was cool. It was cool. And again, it could completely fall apart, but that game is right around the corner. It's coming out August 25th, and I am just really excited to see more out of that game i i want to know more about until dawn and i kind of want that to be my heavy rain like i want that to be the game that i remember so fondly and you know i don't get hung up on story beats or you know how uninteractive the game is and i think there's a a complete lack of pretentiousness with the game that also has me completely into it like it knows that it's a schlocky horror fest and I respect it more for that. Like, we're not having conversations about, you know, oh, is, is this game going to be the height of human emotion? And is it going to do everything different than what we've ever seen before? I kind of like the fact that it just knows what it is right now. But that was that was another surprise at the show that I was, like, way more into than I thought I would be. It looks rough. It, it Do you mean rough in terms of, like, gameplay-wise? Uh, like, no, like, brutal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna be super brutal. A lot of people are gonna have a lot of trouble. Yep, and I'm okay with that. So, all right, what else do we have, guys? Are we starting to wind down here? Uh, we had a lot of fun playing. Uh, well, we had a lot of fun dancing for Persona Four yeah. Dance. Yeah, guys did do that. <laughs> yeah, we got there's them T-shirts. A, there's a video of it. Uh, we had fun doing that, and I played the game, and I love rhythm games, so I was happy to get my hands on it. It plays well. Uh, it has a story mode. That's a thing. Like it's Persona, so I shouldn't be surprised. But it's gonna. Yeah, be after the Persona fighting game story, I feel like they're just kind of like, uh, why not? It's it's sad because I'm kind of burned out on Persona Four at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm still a huge Persona fan, but the first spinoff for Persona Four, I was like, awesome, and then Persona Four Golden, amazing, and then they didn't stop. They just kept going. I've gotten so much Persona 4, it's enough. Well, we're ready for Persona 5. I think that's half the problem. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm playing Persona 4 right now. See, that's that's the okay. That's the exact same thing. Maybe you just don't get burned out, Jeremy. Like we're we're over know. here wanting new know, stuff. Man. That could be it. We might have figured you out. Maybe that's my thing. Maybe I just don't get burned out. I I really don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's but a yeah, weird superpower. But I'll take it. <laughs> 
you, you guys were dancing for uh, Persona 4 Dancing All Night. That was kind of cool. Uh, a lot of games over at Atlas's booth and at Xseed's booth. Uh, not a whole lot of stuff that I'm super interested in, but you know, lots of games available for, for people that are, are interested in those kinds of titles. That's my nice way of yeah, saying I, I have people zero. Who are interested in <laughs> I, That's my nice way of saying I have zero interest in those You're games. But I'm being honest. Like, they're not for me, but that's totally fine. Like, if other people want to play those, those are fine. Just not my cup of tea. Yeah, Rob's E3 takeaway. Uh, Mordheim looks all right. That's it. Everything else, terrible. Oh, that's ASX. not true. I was speaking so highly about other games. That's not, You're not going to paint me into oh, a box Deus like Ex, that. Deus Ex, all right. We'll you're not going to paint me into a box like that. Uh, come on, I was you positive on... You made that box yourself, sir. I, I'm the one who's being positive about a Final Fantasy VII remake, okay? Like, meanwhile, the rest of the internet now, a week later, is going, is this something we really want? After ten years of bitching and moaning that they <laughs> yes. want it. Shut up, you want it. Yeah, the, the fact is that, yes, you all do want it. So, just enjoy it. Well, we definitely we, want it, so... Uh, I guess things just keep popping up. Uh, another thing I saw was Dragon Quest Heroes, which I wasn't sure if we were going to cover, since it's basically a Musou game, like a Dynasty Warriors game. Uh, and we didn't really cover Hyrule... Did, wait, we didn't review Hyrule Warriors, did we? I don't think we did. I don't think Like an initial yeah, story on it. Yeah, yeah, that's what we did. We just kind of touched upon it. But that game doesn't have enough... I mean, like, we cover Zelda as an exception anyway. But uh, Dragon Quest Heroes actually is... It is a Dynasty Warrior style game, but it ha- style game, but it has full-on RPG elements like uh, leveling up, character customization with skills. You get a- equipment, you can craft accessories. Um, you have HP. Like when you hit enemies in the game, it pops up with the HP damage they take, a la old Dragon Quest. Actually, it looks really good. It oh. runs at 60 frames, which was like super impressive to me, because um, usually. I don't know what it is about Dynasty Warriors games. They just run like crap usually, and that always turns me off. But I, which demo did you play? Because they you had played the one with the Cyclops. Okay. Okay, because like the one with the Cyclops, Andrew and I were playing it, and we just kept looking at each other like, "This is really dull, and like it's taking forever to kill this thing." And we I think both don't want to play this right now. I think your criticisms of that particular thing are overblown. And you're fixating on one thing. Like, did yes. You, did you play it? Yes, I did. And it, it just had too much HP. That was it. So they could just lower the amount of HP it has and the problem's fixed. Uh, okay. Like, like mecha- I... Mechanically, it worked. It just took too long. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Uh, that that could definitely be a, a factor of it. I thought the game looked gorgeous. Like, I think that that Toriyama art style looks great in HD as long as they, like, keep it very cartoonified. Like, that looked really good. And... You know, I, I want that game to be good. I think there was a level of disappointment. I just got done saying I wasn't going to be negative, but here I am. Here we go. I was disappointed that that was the only Dragon Quest game at E3. That's reasonable. Yeah, like, I would too. Yeah. Out of all You're allowed to Dragon, have out, out of all the Dragon Quest games, that was the one. And, you know, maybe that doing well will mean I get more Dragon Quest in America. But that was a little... I, I could have done with more regular Dragon Quest and not that. That that was a little upsetting. But, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, apparently those games don't sell as well here in America as I would like them to, and there really isn't a whole lot I can do about that, except just keep proselytizing them and trying to get people to, to play them. I don't know. I'm not a huge Dragon Quest fan, but I, I can totally see like the Hyrule Warriors fans seeing it and thinking, like, 
oh, you know, maybe I'll enjoy this too, and then hopefully getting more into Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. It could, it could hit it off. It could. It hit could it. happen. It was weird having uh, Mighty Number no. Nine at Square Enix's booth with the worst controllers on the E3 show oh, floor. God, holy crap! Like they had these Mad Cats controllers that just—they barely even pressed in when you press the button. So the whole time I'm sitting there playing it, like. What's going on? Is this good? And Mike came over and he was like, "Yeah, it doesn't feel great." And then Mike went and played Mighty Number no. Nine somewhere else, and he comes back and went, "Don't worry, it was just the controllers. Everything's fine. It was just the controllers. I don't know what they were thinking, but that was that yeah, was every- weird. Everything felt mushy. Yeah, it just really... was like, what is going on here? Yeah, Derek and I were there with Mike as well when we kind of got to play it later, and it felt great when I played it. I mm-hmm. assume Derek feels the same. Yeah. It, it controlled better than I thought it would. I've been a pretty vocal uh, critic of Mighty Number no. 9 up to this point, and I still think it looks worse than it could. I still think it looks kind of amateur visually, mm-hmm. but it sure does play well. So mm-hmm. it, It's weird. Fun. Like I was still getting used to the whole like being able to dash through multiple enemies like it always felt like i would dash through one and then i didn't quite understand that i had to keep dashing so there there's a learning curve to that game it's not just you know shoot stuff and watch it explode like watching people have a really hard time beating the first boss in that demo because the game doesn't tell you you have to dash into them it looks like you're doing damage and then the game's like oh they start regenerating and you have to use the dash attack. The entire game is built around that. So that that was kind of neat to watch as like people were struggling with a new gameplay mechanic in a traditional 2D side-scrolling shooter, like kind of action game. And hopefully, whenever they actually release the game, you know their first level will include you know some enemies or something to at least lead players into doing that. So right. Kind of get. I'm sure that's just kind of like you know the ignorance of not knowing. Yeah. That's game design 101. Like, you gotta let me know that we can do everything. Or you could take the Witcher approach and just assume that I know how everything works. And then just completely turn people off to that game. Like, I, I have students that are still like, how the hell do I play the Witcher? And I'm like, eh, you gotta read some FAQs, dude. Y- you'll figure it out. You'll figure well, I know you love it, but they could do that Bloodborne approach where the first hour is just incredibly rough. I, I found it very comforting. <laughs> You're such a liar. <laughs> no, I, I did find the beginning of Bloodborne really, really hard. I did. Like, it, it It took me a while for everything to click. Like, mechanically, I understood what was going on, but I had to get myself into that mindset of, like, oh, I need to know exactly what I'm doing. So, it was cool. It was cool. So, E3, I think we're all positive on, correct? Oh, most definitely. Great E3 yeah. to be at. Yeah. yeah. Great, great first, first one. For, one. Yep, yeah. first one for Jesse and Jeremy. What would you guys think? Uh, so glad that it was a good one to go to. You know, the press conference and the great games that they had there. Like, even if you're not excited about all of them, the fact that there were so many, just, I don't know. It's, for me, a great E3 to be, you know, have my first one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how I'm ever going to really top that. It seems like there was so much there. It was almost overwhelming. Well, next year you're going to play the Final Fantasy VII remake. That's how, <laughs> that's how we're going to actually top it next year. Mm. So yeah, I, I think it was a super positive show. I think we all saw lots of different games, and you know, like we were talking about before, Gamescom is right around the corner, and then TGS. You know, hopefully we can get Steven to TGS mm. since he's going to Japan. That'll be kind of like you know 
what else is coming and and are these games now going to be playable that we saw oh ooh, ooh, i forgot a quick hit i forgot a quick hit i now understand divinity original sin because i got to play it with steven and that console version is going to be pretty damn good they did a really good job of outfitting those uh, mouse and keyboard controls for console that game is meant to be played with a partner like Playing that game single player was like, ah, okay, this is okay, I'm controlling my units, but playing it together in turn-based strategy, that was really, really cool. That that was really, really cool, as Derek yells at me to pull up iTunes real quick, so I'm going to do that. So Derek, hold the show down for a second. Speaking of which, weren't you supposed to uh, give us copies of that? Not that you're... Uh, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, well, well I got to know, I got to find out if it's my kind of game or if I'll be... They gave know, me uh, a DVD and a code, so what I'll do is I'll send the DVD to you guys, and then the code I'll just... I'll email that to you guys. So yeah, just yeah, hopefully uh, we can try Mordheim too because they those guys were talking about sending us early access code. Yeah, I well. want to give that game a shot. I want to see what it's all about. It, it might. I want to be... give it a shot, and then I want to massacre you specifically. Wow, that that uh, okay. <laughs> have you even beaten Bloodborne yet, fool? Have you even beaten <laughs> of course I have. Are you kidding me? We talked about this oh, already. Oh man, I don't I'm trying know. Trying to bring my cred into this. I don't know, man. I mean, you're, you're talking just a lot. Just because the Dark Souls DLC just defeated you. It, it, it don't did. act like it's gonna be easy. It did. It did kind of defeat me a little bit. Uh, on the plus side, though, getting out of that uh, Dark Souls three demo, I was given the Dark Souls of Chargers, which was kind of neat. You were. Was. Yeah. Of I totally yeah. got one too. All right. So before we end the podcast, I wanted to go through. We got some podcast reviews on the iTunes page, and I am a shill, and I love to kind of read these out loud. A lot of really good criticism on them, which, you know, I think we're looking for positive feedback. You know, there are definitely things that we can work on. So uh, right away, let's start off. I think we did Ken's before, uh, but I think I'll, I'll read from uh, Ken's again. You know, I drive. A, this is from Ken. I drive a lot f- uh, for my work, meaning I have a lot of free time to listen to music and radio. After hundreds of hours of music, I listened to. I started to listen to the radio a lot more often than music. Eventually, I started to get bored by topics that had no relation to my interests in life and hobbies. It struck me like lightning. The idea of podcasts had fully come to fruition in my brain, as I had never listened to a podcast in my life. Podcasts are radio with topics you want to hear. That being said, this is my first podcast. That I've been listening to for about a year now. These guys are fantastic. Oh, thanks. And I, I didn't force him to write that. I feel like I could hang out with these guys and drink a beer with. Uh, come to SoCal and we got a brewery hopping. I know Rob is a Scotchman, but still, that is true. I am a Scotchman and I didn't drink any Scotch at E3. I was too tired. Uh, the cast is colorful, well-spoken, informative, and funny. Their thoughts on games and everything about them, uh, about those games, music, art, story, and gameplay are usually right in tune with my own associations. Rob, Steven, and Derek are my favorite cast members to listen to. Oh, thanks. Really, Derek? Really? One of your favorites? Really? Oh! Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> love Just you. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. I love the show. P.S. I don't like iTunes or this review would have been sent out a long time ago. Thank you so much, dude. Uh, no, that's... Rob. We got some positive criticism um, from uh, Rule 87 So he said, but often I see the hosts, Mr. Steinman in particular. You don't have to call me Mr. Steinman. I'm not a teacher right now. Uh, offering statements that are absolutist in their standing as opposed to subjective viewpoints. There are plenty of games worthy of scrutiny and critique, but I feel that the discussion sometimes boils down to my experience was bad, ergo this game was bad and should not be played, as opposed to here's uh, what made up my experience. Here's why it didn't appeal to me. 
me, and here's who it may appeal to. I think that's a very fair criticism. I will say that I'm the one who does that more than anybody else on the show. I think Derek and Steve and our other two regulars are really good at playing devil's advocate and looking for the other side. You know, I try to back up what I'm saying, you know. I think maybe I do sometimes have a tendency to say, I don't like this game, and maybe leave it at that where I could articulate my point a little bit. But when it comes to games like Final Fantasy XIII, I just don't like it. And that I, I can't articulate it more like that. But that is good criticism, and I do appreciate that. That's how we make the show better. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Mito... The Me Too School. The Me Too School. I'm so bad at reading that stuff. Uh, Never forget Grain of Arriver. Uh, I know, I know. I've been listening. He loves it like good pizza. I've been listening since the beginning, and I would say this: it's the kind of podcast where you listen to some cool guys, really cool guys, really even me, uh, tell you uh, good games and you've that you've heard of, good games you haven't, and bad games that you should ignore, like Dark Souls Three. Uh, if you don't have friends, <coughs> wrong. <laughs> Oh, there I go again. If you don't have friends to talk to about RPGs twice a month, this is a good place to start. And then uh, Soul Bad Dude, uh, fun podcast. You guys are funny and have varied taste. However, I would like a female opinion on some of uh, these matters. Uh, and that's definitely something that we're trying to do. Uh, we've had Caitlin on the show. We'd love to get Liz back on the show. We love hearing from different uh, avenues, different voices when it comes to games. We had some really good discussion at E3, and I think that's something we can continue continue to do so thanks again so much to you guys for the uh input we definitely love the positive criticism keep it coming our way again we want to keep it positive so we can do better uh once again i'm very sorry that this podcast was late i'm actually going to edit this right now and you should have it in your hands about 10 minutes after i hit the stop button on the record uh so for derek jeremy and jesse Thanks again for listening, and we will see you all later. Bye. See you. Bye-bye. Honk. <laughs>